Well, we have a guest speaker today, and uh, this guy has been an encourager to me. His name is Mike Lane. He was here. Were you here last year? Did you come last year? Two years ago. And uh, he goes around, and uh, he's been a pastor. He's been an executive pastor of a large church. He's, he, but now he, he travels. He ministers. And, and I think one of the most powerful things he does, he encourages pastors, and he coaches them. And uh, he does a number of things. He's just been a very big encourager to myself. And uh, so I want you to give him a welcome. He has a word for us today. Come on, let's welcome Mike Clayton to, to the stage. Amen. Two pastors trying to figure out something electronic is not safe. I, I agree with Pastor Sean. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's free stuff. You know that? It really is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's free stuff. Well, that ought to inspire, inspire many of you to become led by the Spirit of God. Amen. Say, well... Get some free stuff, all right, yeah. So it's good to see you all this morning. It's good to be here. I have great friends of mine, Jerry and Joyce Enyard. I've known them for years. They've been a blessing to my life, and it's so good to see them and just love them. Amazing people. Um, uh, we are from St. Louis, the other city in, in Missouri. <laughs> the other baseball team in Missouri. And uh, I tell people this all the time. In St. Louis, you know, we talk about the Cardinals and the Blues. We never talked about the Rams. <laughs> we always talked about the Chiefs. and <laughs> We never talked about the Rams, you know. It's, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 we got a football team here. So, and then they go away, and now they're undefeated. How, who would have thunk it? <laughs> this is a Rams. Somebody told me this the other day. I don't follow them adamantly. They told me, he said, you know the Rams are undefeated. I said, tell a nut and calf. This can't be true, but it is anyway, so enough of that. But it is great to be with you. Um, I'm, I'm going to brag on your pastor for a little bit. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. Got a big amen from the front row here. No, but, but really, um, Pastor Sean and Lisa, I think, are some of the most uh, authentic people that I know, and I, I actually do brag on them as I travel from time to time when I'm with other pastors. I'll say, I've got this friend in, in uh, Kansas City who's probably one of the most authentic and integral individuals that I know. And I said, if you ever want to get around somebody that you can catch that from, I said, make the trip to Kansas City, spend some time with this guy because he's the real deal. You know, and I, and I say this cautiously, I really do, but I, I, because I travel a lot, I'm in a lot of different churches and a lot of different settings, a lot of different cultures. There, there are pastors, and then there are pastors. And you have, and I hope you know this, and I do believe you know this, you have one of those, uh, this is a pastor, man. This man is going to pastor you, he's going to care for you, he's going to love you. And uh, if you're, you're a guest here today, you just need to know that, that this is a safe place to sit under somebody who will really care for your life uh, more than about, you know, what you've done or, or anything that you have or don't have. He will care for your life. I'll put it this way because I, I know Sean this, this well. 
he will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And that was the words of the Apostle Paul. And that's the kind of pastor that you have in this place. So I'll tell you what. It's, I know Pastor Appreciation Month was last month, but let's get a, give it up. Let's give a hand for your pastors. Amen. Amen. How about we get into the Word of God? What do you think about that? So if you would, please, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. It's one of the minor prophets. We have the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now, what it was was that the, the, the major prophets weren't more important than the minor prophets. The reason they call them major and minor is because of the length of the book. Okay? The minor prophets were shorter books. You know, really, the, it's amazing if you read the book of Jonah, this is short 48 verses. But there is so much in this. And I think it's so much in this for today. So I'm going to lay a little groundwork. I'm going to let you know. If you don't know, I'm going to try to give you a, a little bit of background on, on this person of Jonah. And uh, so that you can kind of understand his story and the significance of uh, how God used him in this book. So I'm going to read some verses and then we'll, be, we'll begin to lay this groundwork. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 1, says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each one cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the innermost part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep like every good prophet does. So the captain came and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, uh, perhaps the God will give you a thought to us that we may not perish. And so here's Jonah. He's this prophet. God calls him, you know, to do this. But uh, we find out right away that he's a son of Amittai. Now, um, one of the interesting things is in Jewish tradition, they teach it that, that, that Jonah, if you remember, remember over in 1 Kings 17 when Elijah, you know, God calls him to go to Cherith and the ravens feed him and he drinks all the water and then that drives up and he sends him to this widow uh, for her to take care of him. And she goes and says, you know, make me a meal, you know, all this stuff. And then she has a son and the son dies. Well, Jewish tradition is, is that that widow was the wife of Amittai and that son that died was Jonah. And so I want to talk to you today about the unlikely places that we experience revival. And, and uh, the reason uh, I began to see this is that the book of Jonah is filled with revival beginning with the life of Jonah. He, Jonah was the, was experienced revival in the essence of it. All right? If, if Jewish tradition is correct, Jonah experienced revival firsthand. All right? And so uh, God had used him uh, throughout. In, you see in 2 Kings chapter 14, 
uh, Jonah had prophesied to Jeroboam the second about the, the, the boundaries and the restoration of land. And so, so we, here we have this, this man who was this prophet. And, uh, and he, as I said, is, a, is the product of revival. And, and we're going to look at throughout. Actually, I have on my notes uh, two revivals. But actually, there were three revivals that we're, we're going to look at throughout the book of Jonah. And so let's, let me define, give you some definitions of what the word revival means because I think in the church world we get, we get inoculated with certain words. And, and over a period of time I think we actually begin to really lose the true meaning of words. All right? It's like in the, in the church world we talk about vision a lot. Vision. Vision of the church, vision of the church. And it's almost, you know, because I do consulting in churches, and, and so I spend a lot of time talking to, to leadership and staffs and everything about all this type of, you know, systems and structures and all these types of elements. And, and a lot of times, you know, the word vision has almost become sterile. We have a vision of the church. What is it? And, and people repeat it almost like monotone. Love God, love people love the world. It's like, well, that's exciting, and I'm encouraged by that, and I want to be a part of that. I was at one church. They have a large staff. I was speaking to about 40 uh, staff people, so I was doing this leadership element. I said, okay, tell me what the vision of this church is, and I got almost 40 different versions of what the vision was, which told me nobody knew what the vision was, but here's, here's my take. Because I, I think what, what we're living, as, as we are living this life, it, it's, it's so, it's, it's amazing. And, and here's kind of how I live it. And so instead of using the word vision anymore, I use, the, I use this phrase, we're on, we're, we're encountering the big adventure. This is a big adventure. This is the big adventure of Cornerstone Church. All right, whatever that is. Whatever it is that God has placed upon your heart and, and, and within your soul, and have a passion for the big adventure. And so, as, we, as we're talking about revival, I think it's one of those words that, that it's become too clinical for us. We really need to understand. So, I'll give you some of the definitions of what the word really means it's, it's a new production of an old play. My wife just went with a couple of uh, friends of ours, neighbor friends of ours, to the movie A Star is Born. Anybody heard about that one with who's in it, Lady Gaga and, and uh, what's it, Bradley Cooper. So actually what A Star is Born is, a, is, is, is the reproduction or the revival from, from the, the movie that was first come out in 1954. And the, the, the main the character of the movie back then was Judy Garland. And so we've had a revival. We went from Garland to Gaga. <laughs> we've had a revival. <laughs> Here's another definition. Improvement in the condition or the strength of something. And the last one is an instance of something becoming popular, active, and important again. Now, it's, a, it, it, it's critical for us to understand this because do you realize in our culture today that Christianity has become less important in the, people's, in the, in the culture of our nation? Christianity has become less and less important 
But God's not done yet. Pastor Sean talked about the story. This is just a chapter. This isn't the end of the book. Okay? And so we need to understand what the, what, what, what the revival is and what God is doing. Because really what, what, what you can, in, a, in another essence of what revival is, is taking old truths and bringing them into new settings. This is a new day. Our, our world is changing. How many of you can say amen to that? Or oh me. I've lived long enough to realize there's never been a time, at least in my life, in my short tenure of life, that was a joke, I've never seen a time like this that we're living in. But I'm not despairing. I think it's one of the most amazing times of opportunity that I've ever lived in, at least. But yet it seems that there are a lot of things that are going south. You understand that phrase, right? Things going south means it's, I don't know why we say that. The south is good. It's warm. It's, it's, anyway, we say it. But, but I'll tell you what a revival is not. A revival is not a church meeting. Now, a revival can happen in a church meeting, but we have to be careful that we, that we don't sequester the revival that God wants us and, and sequester it to just a meeting. Okay, So here we have the book of Jonah. I, I, for the sake of time, I can't read all of it. I'm going to read excerpts from it, and, and then we'll go from there. Okay, So here we see Jonah. God calls you and says, I want you to go to Nineveh. He's like, yeah, right. He goes, I think I'll go to Tarshish. Now, he had come down to Joppa, just a short distance. Have you ever been? How many have ever been to Israel? Been to Joppa, right? Just a short distance from Gath Hefer, where he would have lived, down to Joppa. God calls and says, I want you to go to Nineveh, which Nineveh was, is, is really located um, just outside of uh, modern-day Mosul, which, which is in north, northern Iraq, which you probably heard on the news, Mosul and different things. And it was, uh, uh, Nineveh was the capital of the Neo-Assyrian Empire at that time. <clears throat> So he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. That was 550 miles from Joppa to Nineveh. But look at this. Jonah says, uh, I think I'd rather go to Tarshish, 2,500 miles away. Sometimes that's the way we live our lives. God says, I have this for you to do over here. And we say, well, I think I'll do it my way. And God says, that's fine, but it's the long way. Okay. Why Tarshish? Because Tarshish at this time was to the extent of the known world. It was the furthest you could travel by sea at that time. And so Jonah says, I'm going to get as far away from God as I can. Because you have to understand in those days, they believed that God, any God... Even God created was fixed to a geographical place. And so if you could move away from that geographical place, then you are out from under the authority of that God. That's why Moses asked Pharaoh to go three days' journey into the wilderness. Why? Because then they would have been out of the authority of the Egyptian gods. They would have been a neutral land. 
And so Jonah says, I'm going to go to Tarshish because God's not there. God's here. God's not there. Sometimes that's the way we live our lives. We think, well, God's there, but if I do this over here, God's not there. As Jonah discovered, mm, you can't get away from God. So no matter what's happening in the world today, no matter what's happening in our culture today, God has not left us. I was driving back from Nashville a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago. I was speaking down in Nashville. I was driving back, and I just read this book, which was kind of one of these books. I don't know why I read these books, but I do. It's one of those books that was talking about how, you know, how, you know, the, the, the diminishing of the church. Of, it, it, there is a relative truth to the, the, our influence in the culture, but it, it's how the church was in this dire straits and and blah, 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 and how bad, you know, things were going to get, and all this stuff. And I'm thinking about this book, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God thunders in my soul. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then Then the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me, and he said, the church in America will not go away. He said, the church in America will thrive. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm driving to Interstate 24, and I'm having a shouting fit. I mean, I just about, to, I literally, I almost had to pull over because I'm like, yes, yes, the church is going to, yeah, amen. I believe that, Lord. I mean, you know, I'm, at, I'm just, I am. I'm having a Holy Ghost thing on Interstate 24. Yes, God was on Interstate 24 in Tennessee. So, so we see this, and, and so, you know, they have this calamity, and they say, well, you know, something's wrong, we got to start bailing things over. Finally, Jonah says, hey, guys, it's me. It's my fault, which he was a man of justice. I mean, he, he's like, hey, it's my fault, you know. And they said, well, what we got to do? He says, you got to throw me overboard. And they didn't do it right away. Me, I would have been, get him out of here. He's a fun, throw him over. No, so they try to laden the load more. They try to row. It's not working. It's come down to this, Jonah. We're going to have to throw you over. Sorry, dude. So they throw him over. But look what happens. Let's pick it up in verse 14. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's blood. Let us not, let not on us innocent blood for you. Lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, uh, have done it as you pleased you. We've done this because it's pleased you. So they picked up Jonah. They hurled him into the sea. The sea ceased from its raising. Look at this. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What happened? There, there, was, a south, there was an altar call that happened on this ship of these barbaric polytheistic sailors. This is the first revival that we see in the book of Jonah. As these guys came to the Lord. When they cried out to the Lord, it wasn't to their gods, it was to Jonah's God. They call out to Jonah's God. And they made vows to Jonah. What? They made commitments. This was a salvation experience on a ship full of roughneck, polytheistic, barbaric sailors. And we don't think God can move in our culture? We don't think that God can't do something with those antagonistic people that we know? 
Will those people that we think are too far gone, too far out there? I got news for you. God will move in the most unlikely places and most, in the most unlikely ways. Let's look on a little bit further. And so they throw Jonah overboard, and what happens? God has this big fish ready and waiting. So I call this the great fish revival. How many of you fishermen? How many in you are fishermen? Go ahead, raise your hands. It's, I'm, I'm not going to call you forward or anything. You know, like the great fish revival. That's the kind of revival I'm talking Great fish revival. Yeah. Use that the next time you go to the lake. Tell your wife, I'm going to revival. <laughs> going to a revival meeting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So God used, God used this great fish. Some say it's a whale, whatever. It doesn't matter. It was just supernatural the way it happened anyway. See, this, this fish was not only a receiver of Jonah, he was also a deliverer of Jonah. In the world today, many people that you know maybe need us to be their great fish. They need us to receive them into our lives with love and grace and mercy. Why? So that we can lead them to a place that they can be delivered. That they can be either delivered or restored or renewed in their lives. God has always used fish or fishermen. Jesus used fishermen. Isn't that amazing? There's another one for you guys, like, you know, going to the lake. I'm just being a disciple of Jesus. I'm giving you guys a lot of ammo, you know. But what's interesting, too, is that here, here in the situation, another aspect of this, the situation of of Jonah being in the, the belly of this fish or the belly of the whale, as many times the story is told. What did he do? Did he lament? Did he, did he moan and complain? No. If you read through here, what he began to do is cry. He began to, to, to pray and to sing out the Psalms. If you read through the, the following verses there, you'll find that, there's, uh, uh, that he quoted Psalm 18, that he quoted Psalm 42. He's quoted Psalm 139. I could go on and on and on. He was in the belly of the fish. What? Crying out to God, quoting, singing scripture. Maybe you're finding your life right today and you feel like you're in the belly of a fish. What are you doing? Are you complaining? Pastor Sean, are you complaining? Oh, it's raining today. It's cold today. Or are you, or are you declaring, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. I know sometimes, we, you know, you can be quick to complain about things. And, and, and my wife and I, we've been through many different circumstances. Uh, we could tell you stories. And one of the things that we determined, you know, we may have had a moment of where it's woe is me. And all, we all do that, right? But then when it comes to really the reality of it, we're like, no, we're going to trust in the Lord. 
We're going to believe our God. He's never failed us yet. He can do all things, and we can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens us. And our God shall supply all of our needs according to our riches and glory. And I mean, we just that's the things that we begin to cry out from the belly of, of the fish that we're in. But the favor of God surrounds us like a shield. No evil shall befall us. No plague shall come near our dwelling. What is that? That's what we need to do in those times. And that's, that's what people need. They don't need to, someone to tell them how wrong they are. They need someone to tell them what Christ did so that their life can be right. You know, I, I've been saying this in a different message I've been teaching, but it, it, I think it'll fit here. One of the things that I've been telling people, you've got to realize that God has brought you here to this right place. This is a right place for a wrong world. God has brought you to this right place to get equipped, to get inspired, to be instructed so that you can help a wrong world. Not wrong in the sense that we're right and they're wrong, but wrong in the sense that they are outside the redemptive work of God. They're outside the redemptive will of God. So, the fish takes, I believe, I don't, I don't, we don't even really know how far Jonah got. It doesn't say that he got all the way to Tarshish, does it? Just said he headed there. And now I can't prove this. This is just me. Okay? This is just Mike's version. I think, I think when they left Joppa, they got about 550 miles on their way to Tarsus. So he gets thrown over, the fish grabs him. And brings him back to where? To Joppa. Because God will always bring you back to his place of purpose. God will always bring you back to his promise. God will always bring you back to the place of his goodness. God will always bring you back to the place where his grace and mercy abide. Amen. So Jonah finally, finally gets it. Well, maybe I need to go to Nineveh. So he goes, and uh, Nineveh, let me tell you a little bit about Nineveh. Uh, I talked to you about it being, you know, its location. It was a wealthy uh, commercial trade center. It was also the religious center for the Mesopotamian goddess Ishtar, which was the goddess of love, beauty, sex, desire, war, justice, or vengeance, and political power. So does any of that sound familiar today? (laughs) God has God has really placed this and brought us and, and and has us here for such a time as this for our culture, because uh, uh, Nineveh really represents a significant cultural influence, and that's one of the things that I believe God is endeavoring to do today, is trying to get us replace us back to where we have an influence in the culture because the church, for a, a, a in in a degree, has lost its voice of influence in the culture. But I believe we are gaining that voice of influence back in our culture. So, 
Jonah goes into Nineveh. He walks three days. It says it was a three days journey across this town. It's a fairly good sized community. If you're going to walk three days. How long? I was thinking about this. How long would it take you to walk from here to the legends? A day? A little more? I mean, you got the interstate to follow. Jonah didn't have. Jonah didn't have I-70 to cut across Nineveh. So it's a pretty big city. It really is. Historians and scholars say it's probably, potentially, it was a community of between six and 700,000 people. So Jonah walks a, a, a day's journey. So it was, he walks a third of the way. He didn't, I would say, he didn't go halfway into the city. He didn't go into the middle of the city. He just went a third of the way of the city. And this, and this is really, this is really uh, one of the things that, that really intrigued me because they said Jonah went in the city, went a day's journey, and he said this. He called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all he said. He walks a third of the way in and uses eight words. Eight words. And what happens? This whole city repents from the king on down. Eight words. It wasn't a, ma- a long, you know, diatribe or pontificating like you're listening to right now. Eight words. You think, dear Lord, I wish we could find a pastor that all he does is eight words. But here's the thing. Those eight words weren't Jonah's eight words. Those eight words were God's eight words. God can do more to speak to the hearts of a person with eight words than we can to preach hours and hours and hours to people. Now, last Sunday, Pastor Sean spoke a message about being led by the Spirit of God out of Romans 8. Did he not? Did a good job, too, didn't he? Well, you got about a fourth of them said, yeah. Yeah, take that. The other three-fourths either weren't here. No, I'm just kidding. But this struck me. Eight words. But these were eight significant words. See, sometimes with people's lives and how God wants to use you, you don't have to know a lot. You just have to know what God said. All you have to do is be led by the Spirit and say what God has said to change someone's life, to help someone. That's why it's so important that we be led by the Spirit. Earlier in January of this year, the Lord spoke to me. I was praying about this year, and the Lord spoke to me. He says, I want you to be led by the Spirit this year. I was like, Lord, I thought I was being led by the Spirit low all these years. And he said, I want you to be led by the Spirit this year. I knew what he was meaning. He says, I want you to bear down. I want you to understand there's an elevated importance in this year to be led by the Spirit of God, to hear what God is saying. I like what the Old Testament is indicative of in, in seeking God is, is what is seeking the face of God. When, you, when the prophets heard from God, what it was is they heard from the face of God. It was this very personal thing. It was this very intimate thing that 
that they had gotten from God. And, 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 and maybe what God is giving you for someone is just something very, that you think is very insignificant. But what you think are eight insignificant words God uses to transform a whole culture. And so I'm, I've been praying. I was like, God, give me your words for this culture. Give me your words for this time. Let me be a voice for you. And wherever I'm at and whatever I can do and however I can do it, let me be a voice for you to help someone's life. I was on a, I, I was on an airplane a year ago. I was flying out to the East Coast. I'm on airplanes a lot. And, and I ended up in a middle seat somehow. The dreaded middle seat. And I was kind of whining and complaining a little bit. I was like, oh, dear. All the time, I can't ever get a window seat. Or how, how come I ended up in the middle seat? And I was like, oh. And there's this young lady sitting next to me. And all of a sudden, I began to, to hear, not because I was trying to, but because of the volume for her voice. She's talking to her mother on the phone. And what I found out was is that she was uh, just going back home after spending a year in a drug treatment program in California. And she had never flown before. So she's freaking out. And she's telling her mom, I can't take any more of this because I've taken the max of what I can take today. And I don't want to fall back into that trap with the, you know, the drugs, all this stuff and everything. And, I'm, and, 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 and my spiritual mind is doing this. Great. She's going to freak out when we get about halfway to where we need to go. We're going to have that emergency landing. I'm going to be late getting in, blah, 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 blah. I'm being, you know, real holy at that time. Now I'm being real fleshy at that time. And all of a sudden, the Lord just spoke to me. He said, talk to her. That's all he said to me. Talk to her. So I turned to her, and I said, you okay? And she goes, no. And she starts telling me her story and all this stuff. She goes, I'm afraid to die. I said, you're not going to die. How do you know? I said, because I fly all the time, and I'm still here. She said, oh, okay, okay. So we take off, and if you, if you fly, the, you know, if the plane takes off and they put, raise the wheels up, and it always goes boom, boom. She did. She's just like freaking out. And I said, it's okay. You want to hear that noise. I said, it's, 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 it's bad if we don't hear that noise. She said, okay. So the whole flight, the whole two hours there, I, I kept talking her. I was using my very pastoral voice. Telling her how good she was doing. You're doing great. It's going to be fun to be back home with your family, isn't it? All these things. It was an opportunity that God gave me. Because at that time, she was in her belly of the whale, so to speak. And she needed someone to help guide her to the place where she could be freed. Freed from her fear and anxiety. See, a lot of times we, we miss the encounters. We miss the opportunities that God gives us. See, if, 
So in that, in in a relative sense, that was her day of revival, because she made the whole trip, and didn't die. So we get to the airport, we land. I had, I had to go get my luggage. I'm waiting for my luggage. I look over there, and there she's with her mom and dad. And I got to see her talking and everything, and and. Um, uh, apparently she had pointed me out because her, her mom kind of leaned around and went, thank you. I was like, that's probably why I was on that flight that day. You never know whose life your life depends on. You never know the ground that God puts before you to plant a seed of faith for somebody's life. Eight words. Isn't that amazing? Eight words. It's like walking into Kansas City a third of the way. I don't know where a third of the way across Kansas City would be. And saying eight words and the whole city comes to God. Wow. Those are the days I believe where we've entered. I really do. So then, and I'm going to close with this. So we come to this whole thing, Jonah, and he goes in. And Jonah gets upset about this. You read this. He's like, I knew this would happen. I knew if I came here and gave them a word from God, they'd repent and all get saved. I knew. Why? Because Jonah, I mean, you've got to understand, these were kind of arch enemies to the Israelites. He said, I wanted to see your, your judgment, your fire, your condemnation, your misery come upon them, God. We never do that, do we? We never do that, do we? The sons of thunder, send fire down on them, God. Let them, let them have them, you know. Let him fall on a porcupine. That guarantee you that was not in my notes. Um, so anyway, he gets and and he goes out and he sits under under this at this makes this booth and he sits out there and laments and all the stuff and God comes to him and and, he, and then he gives him this plant to come give him shade and right and he's like oh really and then and then the plant dies. And Jonah gets all bent out of shape that the plant dies and everything. And God comes to him and, and, he, and he says this, the last, last couple of verses of verse 4. He said, and the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? So in essence, what he was saying to Nineveh, he says, you have more concern for this plant than you do for the lives of people. Sometimes we get our priorities wrong too, you know. Sometimes we're like, we put much more emphasis and focus of our life on this and we forget that there are people passing by or encounters of us to show compassion and empathy and mercy and grace to most again, most historians and scholars will believe this hundred and twenty thousand wasn't one hundred and twenty thousand adults; it was one hundred and twenty thousand children. He said, "There's see what God was saying." He said, "There's one hundred and twenty thousand children in this city that could have perished, and you're focused on a plant. 
I don't know what it was, sunflower, elephant plant, one of those big, I don't know what it was. You're more more focused on that. What do we get more focused on? It's not that we can't have focused things that we like to do. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what do we keep as a priority as the people of God who who are endeavoring to be led by the Spirit of God that we may have a word of God to transform somebody's life? What do we have? What is our priorities? And I'll make this, this final statement. I believe there is a significant revival that is going to happen through the church. It's just not, may not happen in the church. Let me say that again. I believe there is a significant revival that's going to happen through the church. It just may not happen in the church the church. Why am I saying that? Because I want you to think about your everyday lives where you're living. That's where revival is going to happen. It's going to happen in the most unlikely places. It could happen in the Orschland farm store. I just set myself up right there. It could happen in the aisle at Aldi's. It could happen at a Chiefs game. It could happen at the lake while you're fishing. See, we need to be awakened to understand that God will use us wherever we will let our lives be used. That's how adamant God is. That's how merciful God is. This, if you study, I mean, the people of Nineveh are barbaric. I could, I could tell you details, and I won't, because it's so morbid about this culture. And we would look at that and say, there's no way that God has any compassion for those kinds of people. Part of the reason I'm saying this is we're coming up and we're in the midst of this huge political year. And you got to be very careful on whichever side of the aisle you're on to think that God doesn't have compassion for the people on the other side. Because he does. And if God has compassion for them, then we need to have compassion for one another. No matter what side of the aisle we're on, no matter where we're living. We need to be a people of compassion so that we can be used by God to fulfill the purpose of God. And just like Jonah, God will spit you out right in the place where he wants to use you. And I'm like, God, you can vomit me out wherever you want to vomit me out because I want to be used by God. So I want to pray for you this morning as we close. I thank you, Lord, that you really are today working in our midst, the work of the Holy Spirit, things that you are doing in our lives to prepare us, to make us a prepared people for such a time as this. For the people that you have set us in the midst of in our communities, our places of vocation and profession, our families. 
I pray that we would be a people like Jonah. No matter how and what you need to do, the extent that you need to do to bring us to a place and give us a word to speak. Maybe it's only eight words. But those will be the greatest eight words that could ever come out of our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.